Well, good morning. And welcome. Good to see a great crowd out this morning. Uh, a lot of smiling faces. Uh, you're not cold because it feels like spring in December, doesn't it? So uh, good to see each of you out on this Lord's Day this morning. If you're visiting with us for the first time, we want to uh, welcome you especially. Uh, here at East LJ, we have been captivated by Christ. We have seen in Jesus the glory of God uh, through his life, death, and resurrection. God's grace poured out to us through his Son. And we pray that you will see the beauty of Jesus and be captivated by him as well, even as a result of our time here this morning. We exist to spread our enjoyment of the beauty of Christ to our world. So join us in that today. I want to give a quick thank you and, and shout out to Lisa and David Hensley for our Christmas uh, decorations today. Uh, always a wonderful time of year, and as we just remember uh, God's gift given to us in his son. Join me in standing as we read from God's Word this morning from Matthew's Gospel, Matthew 1, verses 18 to 25. This will not be our text for the morning, but this is a good uh, opening passage for us to think about. As we hear uh, last Sunday, we looked at Luke's um, birth account, and here in Matthew 1, uh, verse 18, Matthew writes on the subject and says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Again, as the angel said, Jesus means God saves, for he will save his people from their sins. Aren't you thankful today that you know the message of the gospel, that you know the truth, that Jesus came, he was born of a virgin, but the whole purpose of his coming was to save his people from their sins. Aren't you thankful that you know that today? Amen, amen. amen. And yet so many even around us, close to us, family members, friends, co-workers, don't know that truth. Maybe they've heard the name Jesus. Maybe they know some things about Jesus, but they don't understand God's grace given in Jesus. And so I want us to pray for our neighbors, as well as the nations, so many uh, millions of people around the world that have never even heard the name of Jesus. This morning, we would pray for the Siwa people, Siwa Berber people in Egypt. This is a Muslim people group, 24,000 people with 0.18 percent of them believers. That's less than 45 believers among 24,000. And so praise God for the believers that are there, and let's pray that God would use them to just multiply the gospel and the kingdom there in Egypt. Join me as we pray. Father, 
Thank you that you loved us so much that you would send your son. We are amazed every time we consider the incarnation. We, uh, during this time of Advent, Lord, it, it, it's always just in, mysterious even as we consider how God became man for us. We don't understand it all, but we praise you that it's true because the result is that we have been saved from our sins. And Lord, that message is good for our neighbor. Your power to save is mighty and strong to the other side of the world in Egypt among the Siwa Berber people. Father, thank you for the believers that are there, our brothers and sisters. Strengthen them, the handful that's there, as they reach out boldly with the truth of Jesus. Father, we pray this morning also for several who uh, need your healing touch. Lord, we pray for Raymond Jacobs, multiple things, uh, health issues going on there. Lord, we continue to pray. We pray for Sheila Miller as she continues to recover from fall. Thank you that she's here this morning. Praise you for that. Lord, we lift up um, Mike Williams as he's healing from some surgery. We pray for uh, Amanda Bankston as she'll have some scans done this week. We pray that those would continue to be uh, free from any, any cancer. Lord, we lift up Miss Pauline Watkins. Lord, we pray for Sherry Newton. Um, Lord, I pray that you would just comfort and strengthen each one. And uh, Lord, we, we pray for others who... Uh, are struggling this morning. I, I think of some others, Lord, that uh, need your touch. Pray for Miss Penland. Uh, we just thank you, Lord, for your presence in each of these situations. God, use us as your people to comfort, encourage, serve, and minister to uh, any of these, Lord, that, that we might be able to help and, and just love for Christ's sake. Lord, thank you for this opportunity to worship. And may Christ be exalted. May we find our all in all in Him. And Lord, this morning may we stand in even greater awe at Your grace and mercy than we have before. We pray it all in Jesus' name and for His glory's sake. Amen. Remain standing as we worship in song. We're glad you joined us this morning. We're going to start with uh, In Christ Alone.
Chad preached on last week. Your baby boy has come. 
Father, today we thank you for the privilege of knowing who Jesus is, who the baby born in a Bethlehem manger, laid in a Bethlehem manger, to know who he is. Lord Jesus, we stand in awe that you are Yahweh in the flesh. That having been born so quietly and humbly, you grew to be the Savior of the world, the Lamb of God who took away the sins of the world, and today you are King of kings and Lord of lords. We marvel at the mystery of the incarnation and we praise you for it. Father, thank you for giving us a true Savior made like us to stand in our stead. No man could have ever thought up the gospel. Such grace and mercy. We praise you and we thank you. Lord, we pray that you'd open our eyes to See more of the beauty of your grace. 
from the scriptures as we open them together now. Lord, we need you to be our teacher by your spirit. We praise you for the Bible. We thank you for the, the word of God. All that's in the word of God is precious because it was spoken, breathed out by you through those who wrote. Thank you, Father, for the gift of the word. And thank you that you're with us right now and that your spirit will be our teacher. Change us for you are worthy of all of our life's worship. All of our obedience and surrender and sacrifice and praise. We thank you in advance as we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. All right, we will be dismissed to Children's Church, and as they are making their way out, turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. Now, if you're here at the beginning of the service, you heard me say that Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 25 that we read at the beginning of the service is not our text for the morning. If you're now looking at Matthew chapter 1 in your Bibles, what you've just realized is all that's left is a genealogy. And you got it. Ancestry.com, one of their commercials, says, Find your family's connection to this moment in history. Now sometimes, when you start digging into your family's history, you might not like what you find. In one of the Ancestry.com commercials, a man named Kyle talks about how he grew up enjoying all of the cultural aspects of his German heritage. And then he got on Ancestry.com and did a DNA analysis and found out that he wasn't German at all, but he was over 50% Scottish. So I traded in, he says, my lederhosen for a kilt. <laughs> Can you imagine finding out all, after all these years and maybe a couple generations living as if you were German, having this German ancestry and celebrating that to find out you were Scottish? How many of you have ever come across surprises in your family tree? Anybody? Okay. Yeah. Let me, let me just, I, I, without any, I, I would, man, I, I wish we had time to just like take some time and talk about those because that would be really fun. How many were like big surprises? Somebody, did, okay, okay, all right. Shocking surprises. Same hands? Okay, man. So please see me after if you just raise your hand because <laughs> I got to hear. And especially a couple of y'all, y'all are interesting anyway, but to hear that story would just be awesome. So. Um, okay, sorry, getting sidetracked. I'm just wondering about what those stories are. But did you know that um, there are two genealogies of Jesus in the New Testament? One is here in our text for the morning, Matthew 1, and the other is over in Luke chapter 3. And the reason the gospel writers include these genealogies is to to use the language of Ancestry.com, to show Jesus' family connection to the moment in history when he came to earth, being born of a virgin to bring salvation to sinners. All of the words of God are important. Everything we find in Scripture has a purpose. 
and a reason for being in the Bible. Jesus' family tree, just like at least three of yours, is not what you'd expect for the Son of God, for the Savior of the world, for the King of Kings. Jesus' family tree is full of surprise ancestors. And yes, we're going to read it. Matthew chapter 1. Why don't you stand to honor the reading of God's Word, even in a genealogy, as well as to keep you awake for the full reading thereof. Matthew 1 verse 1. This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar, Perez, the father of Hezron, Hezron, the father of Ram, Ram, the father of Amenadab, and the fa- the, Amenadab, the father of Nashon, Nashon, the father of Salmon, Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Solomon, the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam, the father of Abiah. Abiah, the father of Asa. Asa, the son of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat, the father of Jehoram. Jehoram, the father of Uzziah. Uzziah, the father of Jotham. Jotham, the father of Ahaz. Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh. Manasseh, the father of Amon. Amon, the father of Josiah. And Josiah, the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. After the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel. Shealtiel, the father of Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel, the father of Abihud. Abihud, the father of Eliakim. Eliakim, the father of Azor. Azor, the father of Zadok. Zadok, the father of Achim. Achim, the father of Elihud. Elihud, the father of Eleazar. Eleazar, the father of Mathan. Mathan, the father of Jacob. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. And Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. Thus there were 14 generations in all from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. You may be seated. Kind of reads like a phone book, doesn't it? Someone said of this genealogy, it's like our appendix. We know it's there. We think we believe it's necessary, but we're not sure why. We're not certain what good it's for, what it's good for. Well, this morning, we're going to find Jesus' family connection to this moment in history, the time of his birth. I want to talk to you this morning about becoming part of Jesus' family tree. Here's the truth I want you to take home with you. Advent is about understanding that anyone can be adopted into the family of God by his grace through faith in Jesus. Becoming part of Jesus' family tree. Anyone can be adopted into the family of God by His grace through faith in Jesus. What a family tree Jesus had. 
I mean, so far, it's just all sorts of weird names, right? Most of which don't mean anything to us immediately as we read them here today in 2020, 2021, 2021 America. But if you had been a Jew receiving Matthew's gospel, the original audience to which Matthew wrote, if you'd have been one of those folks that, that heard this genealogy, you would instantly see all sorts of unexpected twists and stories, as well as a host of unlikely characters in the family tree of Jesus. You see, in Jesus' day, a genealogy was sort of like a resume today. A genealogy, that, that is your family, your pedigree, the clan you came from. It, it, it made you who you were. It gave you status in the community. And so sometimes, and we have record of this from, from the history of the time, folks would modify their resume. They would leave out that grandfather, and they just might write in a well-known uncle in the community as if he were the grandfather, so that when they gave their genealogy, it sounded like they were more of somebody in the community. Genealogies, you see, were meant to impress, just like modern-day resumes. But as Tim Keller says, Matthew does the very opposite with Jesus' genealogy. Jesus' genealogy is shocking. For starters, and don't, under, don't, don't miss the, the, the significance of this, a huge deal at this time and in this culture, for starters, is that there were five women listed in Jesus' genealogy. An unheard of reality in ancient gene genealogies that come from patriarchal societies. In fact, women were seen as second-class citizen and citizens. And here, Matthew purposefully highlights five. And to make it even more scandalous, most of these women were Gentiles, immigrants, and, and, and refugees in Israel. Then, Matthew, throughout the, 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 the unfolding of this genealogy, whether by just a quiet reference or an explicit statement, reminds us of some of the most sordid, nasty, and immoral incidents in all of the Bible in the genealogy of Jesus. Why would Matthew do that? Because again, Matthew wants us to understand. He wanted his readers to understand that anyone can be adopted into the family of God by His grace through faith in Jesus. That Jesus came to save all the world. In this genealogy, Matthew makes this clear by showing us three truths about Jesus. First of all, notice with me, Jesus is the promised Messiah and King of Israel. You see, God always keeps His word and fulfills His promises. That's one of the things Matthew wants us to understand. Jesus is the promised Messiah and King of Israel. God kept His promises given throughout history. You can trust Him. Three important men included in Jesus' family tree that illustrate for us the reality that God has kept his word, Jesus is the promised Messiah and King of Israel. There was Abraham. 
when we go back to the Old Testament and look through the life of Abraham, all throughout the life of Abraham, as recorded in Genesis, God made promises to him that through his seed, the blessings of salvation would come. Galatians tells us in, verse, in chapter 3, verse 16, it says the promises are spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Scripture, Paul says, does not say and to seeds, meaning many people, but and to your seed, meaning one person who is Christ. And so Matthew wants to connect Jesus all the way back to Abraham to show us that God keeps his word. You can trust him. And Jesus is the promised Messiah and King of Israel. The second man listed in the genealogy of Jesus to note here this morning is Judah. In Genesis 48.10, this prophecy was given. The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until he to whom it belongs shall come, and the obedience of the nations shall be his. Who do you think that is? It's the lion from the tribe of Judah. It's King Jesus himself. Matthew wants you to understand that you can trust God and His promises. He will keep His word. Jesus is the promised Messiah and King of Israel. Revelation 5 confirms this. Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. He was able to save us through His perfect life, sin, atoning death, and resurrection. And one day, He will be able to open the scrolls that will end all of history and usher us into the eternal state of the new heavens and the new earth. The third man to note in this genealogy is David. Pretty familiar with that one, right? That's the one we think about at Christmas. We, 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 we kind of know that connection more. In Isaiah 9, verses 6 and 7, it says, For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on whose throne? David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. We could go to many other passages that, connect, that, that, that show clearly that the Messiah would be a son of David. Even as we've been studying through the, Luke of, the Gospel of Luke, we've heard Jesus referred to as the Son of David. Jesus is the promised Messiah and King of Israel. God keeps His Word, and you can trust Him. That's what you can take away, first of all, from this genealogy. Amen? Can you believe that we just got that out of a genealogy? But we got what Matthew wanted us to see. Secondly, God's grace in Jesus is sovereign over the sin, rebellion, and failures of men. And aren't you glad that he is? God, hear me, God will accomplish his purposes. You can rest in his sovereignty and ultimate goodness. Now, the, the men I want you to see from this genealogy to illustrate this reality the men that show us that God's grace in Jesus is sovereign over the sin, rebellion, and failures of men is a bunch of wicked kings included in the genealogy of Jesus. A whole list of bad kings is included here in Jesus' lineage. Abiyah, Joram, Ahaz, Jehoiakim, and others. 
But even their sin and failures could not stop God's grace that He purposed to send in Jesus. God's grace in Jesus is sovereign over the failures of men. To, to illustrate this, note just two of those wicked kings here in the text. The first one is Rehoboam. You can just note 1 Kings 12, uh, 1 Kings 14. If you've got the app, all this is in the notes there at the bottom. Scroll up, sermon notes. Open that. It'll, it'll, it'll give you that reference, and you can look it up later. There in, in, in the life of Rehoboam, 1 Kings 12 and 14. His ungodliness, it was this king... His ungodliness and harsh rule caused the kingdom of Israel to divide into Israel and Judah. It was a turning point in the, in, in the history of the people of God. It was an awful day in the division of, of the people of God in that day. And yet Rehoboam is included in the genealogy of Jesus. Another is Manasseh. 2 Kings 21 would be the reference here. One of the most wicked kings of Judah. Manasseh put idols in the temple of the living God. Total blasphemy of the name of Yahweh, the God of Israel. Manasseh participated in divination, witchcraft, just demonic stuff. He shed innocent blood. Listen, he sacrificed his own son to those idols that he set up in the temple of God. He killed his son in the worship of of idols. And this man is included in the genealogy of Jesus. Today, our God is still working out His good and gracious plan in building His kingdom worldwide through His church as men, women, boys, and girls come to know Him through faith in Jesus. He's still advancing His kingdom. His grace is still overcoming Hard, sin-hardened hearts and saving. And hear me, all the wicked leaders of the world cannot stop this kingdom. If you've been watching too much news lately, let me just say that again for you because you need to hear it. All the wicked leaders of the world cannot stop the kingdom of Jesus. They cannot stop the grace of Almighty God from saving and changing and transforming men, women, boys, and girls, in the church of Jesus Christ. And none of those politicians that we are so often tempted to trust in for change will have any ultimate effect on God's kingdom, for God Almighty reigns over them all. And that's good news. That's good news. God's grace in Jesus is sovereign over all the failures of man. At points in the lineage of Jesus, when it looked like the messianic plan, the prophecies were going to get derailed by the sins of God's people, God still prevailed. God's grace is in Jesus is sovereign over the failures of man. Thirdly, this morning, God's grace in Jesus comes to and even came through social and ethnic and moral outcast. That's long, so I'm going to say that again. God's grace in Jesus comes to and even came through social and ethnic and moral outcast. You see, here's the point of, of this, one of the points of this genealogy, maybe the main point. God gives His grace to all, even to those that the world rejects 
and says there's no hope for those folks. God's grace is there for them. Anyone can be adopted into the family of God by His grace through faith in Jesus. I want you to just know this morning, you can know, based on the genealogy of Jesus, you can know that, there are, that you are not beyond the love and grace and mercy of God. You are not beyond His grace. You say, you don't know what I've done. It doesn't matter what you've done. You don't know how far I've gone away from God. You don't know how long I've stayed in this place of sin that I'm in this morning. Listen to, listen to what I'm saying to you. Listen to what God's Word is telling you. You can know that you are not beyond the love and grace and mercy of God. Listen to me. Even you, even, even, that's how you're thinking in your mind right now. Not possibly me. Yes, even you can be His child for eternity through Jesus. Five women illustrate this reality to us in a beautiful way. Five women. We mentioned them earlier. I want us to look at them. And as we look at these five women, I want you to ask yourself this question. Why would God fold into his lineage of Messiah such women as these? Why would God fold into the, to the family tree of Jesus such women as these? Why would he make four of these women the something-something great-great-great-grandmother of Jesus and one of them his mother. Why? First of all, Tamar. Genesis 38. If you don't know the story, her, her husband died. And the Bible tells us in Genesis 38, some of you are going to be shocked about it. I want to fix and say you didn't know this is in the Bible. She was a conniving woman, the Bible tells us, who disguised herself as a prostitute in order to seduce her father-in-law. Judah, by the way. We've met him earlier so that she could get pregnant by her father-in-law and have an heir. Hello. You can know that God's grace will extend to you. The second something-something great-grandmother of Jesus that's listed here is Rahab. Joshua 2 and also Joshua 6. Rahab was a Gentile and, by the way, a professional prostitute. Are you listening to what I'm saying? She was a professional pro prostitute. She was the town prostitute in Jericho. And yet she was the woman in, whom, in whose heart God worked so that she hid the spies of Israel and was consequently spared. You know the story? during the fall of Jericho, and went on to live among the people of God as a true believer in the one true God of Israel. Rahab, in fact, is listed, and her faith is listed in Hebrews 11.31 as an example of folks with true saving faith. Also over in James 2, verse 25, as an example of faith that works and doesn't just talk. A Gentile prostitute was a something-something great-grandmother of Jesus and mentioned three times by name in the New Testament. The third lady is Ruth, also a Gentile, but, but worse, <laughs> a Moabite. Now, you may not get the significance of that, but basically what that means is, is, is she was a, a total outcast among the people of God. Why? 
because the Moabites descended from the incestuous union between Lot, Scripture records all of this, and his oldest daughter when she got her father drunk in order to get pregnant and have an heir. Can you imagine? I mean, is, it, is anybody just freshly shocked, even if you knew that? Doesn't just blow your mind what's in the Bible? Maybe you're here this morning and you're like, you've got to be kidding. You're making this stuff up. It's not in the Bible. It's in the Bible. Go to the app this afternoon, look up the references I give you, and, and read it. It's all in there. That's where the whole line of the, Mo, the Moabites came from. And Deuteronomy 23, verses 3 through 5, records a special curse on the Moabites. They were not allowed in the assembly of the Lord for ten generations because of that incestuous union. And yet Boaz became the kinsman-redeemer of Ruth. Ruth became the great-great-great-great, times however many, grandmother of the Lord Jesus. The fourth one we see here is Bathsheba. Now, her name is not in the text, just before somebody tells me. I didn't read her name. No, you didn't read her name. But you, you read with me this phrase, speaking of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Matthew refers to Solomon's mother, who we know to be Bathsheba, in order to point out how God redeemed a messed up, sinful situation for his purpose and plan. 2 Samuel 11 tells the tale of how David took another man's wife. In fact, he had the man killed, ultimately. Took another man's wife, and when she became pregnant, made sure her husband didn't come back from war. God punished David by taking the wife of the child, the life of that child, and yet Solomon was soon born to Bathsheba and would become one of the great kings of Judah. Tim Keller says, do you know why Matthew leaves off the name Bathsheba? It's not to slight Bathsheba in any way, it's to slam David. It was out of this dysfunctional family and out of a deeply flawed man that the Messiah came. What a gracious God. The fifth woman, you know her. We talked about her a lot last Sunday. Mary. Mary, as the text says, the mother of Jesus, roughly 13 years old or so. Just an ordinary young lady. Mary was an unlikely mother to Messiah, to say the least. She had no social status. She had no political clout in her world. And yet God chose her. God fulfilled his promise made through the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 7 verse 14. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and, will, and, and they will call him Emmanuel. As we read earlier in Matthew 1, that, word, that name means God with us. Galatians 4, verses 4 and 5 puts it this way. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born of the Virgin Mary, born under the law, to redeem those under the law. Why would God fold into the lineage of his Messiah such women as these? Why would he do that? Again, Tim Keller is helpful when he says, people who were excluded by culture 
excluded by respectable society, and even excluded by the law of God, can be brought into Jesus' family. In Jesus Christ, prostitute and king, male and female, Jew and Gentile, one race and another race, moral and immoral, all sit down as equals. Equally sinful and lost, equally accepted and loved. The grace of God is so pervasive that even the begats of the Bible are dripping with God's mercy. God wants us to know that His grace in Jesus comes to and even came through social and ethnic and moral outcasts. What's the point? He wants us to know that anyone can be adopted into the family of God by His grace through faith in Jesus. We read it earlier, Matthew 1, verse 21. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. God saves because he will save his people from their sins, even his own forefathers. In spite of all the shortcomings and sins, all the social stigmas, God's sovereign grace powerfully worked to fulfill the promises of God and bring Messiah the Savior of the world, who came to give us peace with God. One more thing I want you to notice in verse 17 this morning. Do you see verse 17? Didn't that kind of catch your attention there at the end? Uh, maybe even up to that point. And when, and until it, maybe, you know, kind of like until it started, until you got to Joseph, who was the husband of Mary, who was the mother of Jesus. From there on, you know, you kind of you woke back up. It's kind of been zoning out all these crazy names up to that point. Verse 17. Thus there were 14 generations in all from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. Now you're thinking, so? Well, I mean, so there's got to be something there, right? Why would Matthew point that out? What's the big deal? Well, let's do a little math. Put your math brain on for a minute. Uh, you got one? If not, just trust my math. It's, it's, I've, I've checked it and, and rechecked it. Um, and let's talk about these numbers. 14 divided by 2 is what? 7. Okay, very good class. Very good. There are three 14s here, right? Y'all tracking? So that means there are six 7s, Right? Three fourteen six sevens. Y'all with me? Everybody in agreement? I do the math. Okay. And Jesus is the beginning of the seventh seven. So, so what? Well, the number seven has always had to do with rest in the Bible. This is not somebody superimposing some kind of numeric code on Scripture. This is what the Bible says about the numbers that of years that are used and days. Uh, way back at the beginning, the seventh day, right? Y'all tracking? The seventh day was the day God did what? Rested after six active days of creating the world. And thus Israel was commanded to imitate God and worship God in, in the, on the Sabbath day of rest, week after week. But further along that idea of Sabbath rest, every seven years the Israelites were to give the land a rest. And here comes a zinger. Leviticus 25 tells us that the last year of the seventh period of seven years 
that means every 49 years, y'all tracking? Seven times, seven, 49, okay? That that year was the year of jubilee in Israel. All slaves were to be freed, all debts were to be forgiven. All the land and the people were to rest. This was the Sabbath of Sabbaths. And Scripture makes it clear in the Old Testament as well as connecting into the New, especially in the book of Hebrews, Tim, where y'all been in just the last couple years in Sunday school. This Sabbath of Sabbaths was a foretaste of the final rest that will only come in eternity in the new heavens and the new earth. Okay, Chad, you still haven't told me the so what. So what? What does it mean about Jesus? What does it mean for me? Matthew is telling us, and his, his readers would have gotten it without all those, they would have done all that math in their head real quick, taking them two seconds, they would have understood it. Jesus is our jubilee. Jesus is our jubilee. Jesus' first coming was the inauguration of the eternal rest that he will bring to full reality when he comes again as the jubilee king. And what that means for you today is that you can rest, not just in this world, but eternally in Jesus. Because Isaiah 53, 5 tells us what Jesus did that gives us rest. Isaiah 53, 5 says, He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on Him. And by His wounds we are healed. He was born to die. And on the cross He did. And when He died there in our place, by His wounds you can be healed. Because of His sacrifice you can be completely forgiven. And declared righteous before holy God. And because of that, you can rest. Jesus is our jubilee. 1 Timothy 1 verse 15 says, Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. You know, can, I, can I just tell you something? You, you know what sin's never given me? You know what sin's never given you? I got some A students. Rest. You know what sin will do? It will wear you out. It will destroy you. It, it may feel good and be fun until it's done with you. And it chews you up and spits you out. Sin's never given you rest. Matthew 11, verses 28 to 30. Our D group is memorizing trying to with our uh, well I'm the oldest one but anyway we, we, don't, we don't memorize scripture like we used to but we're, we're trying to memorize this in our, our discipleship group Matthew eleven twenty eight to 30 I love this passage come to me Jesus speaking all you hear him this morning he's talking to you if, you if you need him today if you don't know him yet today he's speaking to you this morning through the word of God and by his spirit. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. That's a promise. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will, there it is again, find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What a beautiful invitation. Jesus gives to us. 
And you know the deal is, if you're, if you're living in rebellion against God, if you're, if, if you're still living away from God, if you've not turned to, to God and, and, and said, I'm a sinner in need of a Savior, I need Jesus, then the reality is you need rest. You're worn out. Sin has you, has you just spent. And Jesus says, come to me. Come to me, and I will give you rest. I will. That's why I came. I came to be the jubilee for your soul. I came to give you real rest. Listen, that will never end for all of eternity. I'm gentle and humble of heart. By the way, there's a book on your way out this morning you can pick up for free. Gentle and lowly. Great read. Takes this verse and makes a whole book out of it. It's powerful. And you will find rest for your souls. There is a place for you in Jesus' family tree. There is. For those of us who've trusted Jesus as our Savior, we've, we've already surrendered by His grace to Him as Lord. These words of Paul are true, and they can be true of you. Romans 8, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Listen, there's a place for you in Jesus' family tree. And if children, then what? Heirs. Do what? Heirs of God and fellow heirs of Christ. There's a place for you in Jesus. You can be an heir of the living God. You can be a co-heir. That's a brother or sister of Christ. Adopted into the family. Galatians 4 talks about this. We, we, we stopped short of it earlier. Galatians 4, 4 again. When the set time had fully come, God sent His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law. Listen. To redeem those under the law. To pay the price for those who've been condemned by the law's sin. Under what end? That we might receive, listen, adoption to sonship. Jesus came to be our jubilee. Jesus came to, to usher us into the freedom of the adoption of the sons and daughters of the living God. Advent is about knowing that anyone can be adopted into the family of God by His grace through faith in Jesus. That's what Matthew 1 verses 1 to 17 is all about. And so the question as we close is this, will you... By simple faith, embrace God's grace in Jesus. Will you come and be adopted into the family of God and find your place in Jesus' family tree? Will you do that today? If you don't know him, that's the invitation. You know what, church? Our, you know, you know, I think what the, the invitation for you is, the call to you, the challenge to us. Man, just take some time and slow down back through Matthew 1, 1 to 17. Go back and read. Just, just marvel afresh. At the grace of our God. Amen? Let's pray. For your grace, Lord, we praise you. We stand in awe of how you have worked all throughout history. Aiming toward the coming, the birth, the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ.
We marvel at how you were at work even when man in all of his sin and rebellion raged against you. We marvel how you gave words of prophecy and foretold what would happen specifically hundreds of years before Jesus came and yet in his coming those words were completely fulfilled. Lord, we marvel that you made the heirs of Jesus those that the world rejects. Father, I pray that everyone under the sound of my voice today would believe that anyone, even them, Anyone can be adopted into the family of God by His grace through faith in Jesus, the one and only Messiah, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And I pray, God, that even right now as we sing, that you would work the work of salvation in someone's heart. Father, for us as your church, may we take the glories of this genealogy and use them to celebrate in the days and weeks of Advent yet ahead. May we spend time as families thinking about these things, talking about these things, being encouraged by the God of all grace. We praise you and we thank you. We thank you in advance for how you're going to answer this prayer, all for your glory's sake, as we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together and, and sing worship and song. The altar's open for you to come and seek the Lord's face however you need to do that. Maybe you need to meet Jesus today. Maybe you need to come trust Him for the first time. I'll be right here at the front to talk to you about that. Church, maybe there's someone God has laid on your heart that you need to pray for in terms of your personal witness during this Advent season. They need to know what we talked about this morning. And you, you, you sense God would use you to do that. Would, would you come and just pray for that person, that one, maybe more family members, friends, co-workers, that God would work and do what only God can do, and that is raise them from the dead. Amen? Amen, Amen. even as we sing.
Maybe seated for just a moment. I just want to share with you a, a praise, and, and Kim gave me permission to do that. Um, Kim just came this morning and, 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 and shared with me that God has given her a real uh, comfort and assurance of faith. Uh, Kim struggled with just assurance of faith for a long time uh, for salvation and just knowing um, that, that, that God had saved her and just got it, God worked in her heart this week. And she uh, came this morning just uh, full of confidence and, and assurance and, and, and knowing that rest that we, that we talked about uh, earlier. And so uh, Kim wants to be rebaptized, and we'll figure that out uh, in the days ahead. Early January probably we'll plan for that. And we'll just celebrate with her, won't we, church? That God has been good and gracious by His Spirit. Amen. Amen. 
tonight. We love you, Kim. Thank God for, for his work in and through you. Several quick announcements before we dismiss this morning. First of all, cry out to Jesus' prayer services tonight and every Sunday evening, 6 o'clock right here. Uh, Wednesday, 6 o'clock is pizza, 6.30, Chapter 8 Youth and Seeds Kids program. Wednesday at 6.30 is when that starts, pizza at 6. Adult Bible studies, a couple different ones on Wednesdays at 6.30 also. This Wednesday, leadership, we'll have a meeting at 7.45, our monthly meeting, 7.45 this Wednesday. Also, as soon as we are done here this morning, about five minutes later, we're going we're to roll right into our uh, uh, December conference. And so about five minutes after we dismiss, we'll begin conference. Children's Christmas play will be Sunday, December the 19th at the beginning of the morning worship service. And that means at 11 o'clock, that's when we'll start, okay? So uh, if you want to see the kids, uh, be here for that at 11 o'clock on December the 19th, two weeks from today. Christmas Eve candlelight communion service will be that Friday, December the 24th at 5 o'clock. 5 o'clock, we'll do a little early. We'll be less than an hour, probably 45 minutes or so, and we'll get you back home for your Christmas Eve celebrations, uh, having worshipped and celebrated communion together as a church family. And then finally, uh, just thank you so much for showing love, uh, the love of Christ to a, a precious family. When I came in the sanctuary for the service this morning, there was only one item left out there on the desk uh, on the Christmas list of the family, so that may already be gone. Um, if not, somebody grab that on your way out, and we will have um, loved and, and, and served this uh, precious family in need. Uh, in a great way by the time it's all said and done. Bring your gifts. There's a stack that's already started there on the chair by the desk. Um, you, can, you can wrap them. You can not wrap them. Just whatever. Bring them um, within the next week or so, and we'll, uh, hopefully by next Sunday we'll have all those collected and get them ready to go and take them to, to that family. Are there any announcements that I've forgotten that cannot wait? If not, David Messer, would you close us in prayer?